0: Greetings and salutations, one and all. Welcome to today's episode of Risk and Reels. Uh, I am, I'm like over the moon excited today because um, our guest today is my really, really good friend and colleague, uh, Dave Motti. Um Dave and I have been talking about getting him on for a little while, and it's been a little bit of a challenge with. Um, with scheduling but dave, dave definitely qualifies as a b fam for me brother from another mother um dave is currently acting as the cio for transmit security but wait before you jump to conclusions he is not the chief information officer he is the chief identity officer which is a super cool title way cooler than evangelist uh and dave's going to share a, a little bit about that. And then we're going to jump in. We're going to talk about some movies. We're going to talk about some cyber. Uh, Dave, thank you so much for joining my brother. It's great to see you again.
1: It's great to see you. It's great to be on this podcast. I can't thank you enough for inviting me. And absolutely, Jeff, it's always a pleasure to do any work with you, whether it was you know, seeing you at a conference a few weeks ago and Having to put up with you the whole time no just kidding uh no absolutely love your your company and love what you're doing here uh with, with this podcast you know spreading the spreading the loves but spreading the information i mean it's obviously a field where there's still a lot of questions a lot of confusion uh and a lot of thirst for knowledge especially with um with everything that's going on in the world so you know keep it up but uh but definitely awesome. excited to be here today and i know there's probably more than enough stuff we could uh, talk about and we could probably spend the whole day uh, recording, I'm sure. <laughs> yep.
0: We'll we'll record, we'll do some stuff, and we'll get you back. So, all right. So, now that the mutual love and admiration is is out of the way, um, so as everyone knows, we're going to start with a movie question. So, let me think. Um, Ooh, okay. Okay. So, give me a character from a movie who – isn't necessarily a traditional heroic role, but in the end turned out to be a, a hero.
1: Oh, okay. So you're going to leave like a, a somewhat challenging one for me, right?
0: You know, of course. Nice, softball for I gotta make, everyone. Gotta, else. I got to make you work for your money.
1: Yeah, curveball for me. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think it's a curveball. I think actually, I'll, I'll just say first before I give you my answer to that is that, you know, I, I think I, I really enjoy a lot of these anti-hero movies, right? Because uh, you know, for long being a kid, kind of growing up in the eighties, we're used to always the eighties action star pretty typical uh, you know, movies like Commando and stuff like that, where it's the hero and it's pretty cut and dry. Um, I'm gonna go with uh Leon from The Professional. Um yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, so that, That's that a had, good one. Yeah, it uh, had Gary Oldman in it, and uh, it was about, I think it was an, an Italian hitman, although he was played by a French actor, uh, living in New York City. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't know if you want me to keep going, but I'll stop there. Yeah, but that's, yeah, that's no, I,
0: I, I love that movie. Plus, who, who, who was the, the female lead in the movie that a lot of people don't know? And I think it was her first major role.
1: Yeah, it was Natalie Portman. Um and right. not yeah, long after Yeah, as a kid. Uh not long after that, then there was uh nineteen ninety nine episode one where she was uh Queen amidala then the black swan and <laughs> so on and so forth and uh and, you know, um, and I did definitely have a crush on her for a very long time.
0: Uh, you know, not, uh, not any, not anymore though. Well, you know, I mean, I'm,
1: uh, I'm an adult now, but I was, I was uh, <laughs> younger when, when, uh, when that happened, but, uh,
0: uh I just, th- I just think Kristen, you don't want to make Kristen mad. <laughs> no, exactly.
1: No, I think she knew that though. She knew that though. But, um, but yeah, no, for, for sure. I mean, I think that that movie is kind of interesting, uh, you know, just because you have the anti-hero and. And he ends up, uh, he's a bad guy. He's a hitman, you know, does bad things for money. And he ends up protecting uh, Natalie Portman's character. Um, I can go on and on, but that no, that's no, one that's
0: okay. that's a good one. And now, now you make me kind of want to watch it again. It's been uh, it's been a while. Uh, one one of the things we're doing here before uh, Shay, my daughter, heads off to school, uh, is we're trying to catch up on a, a bunch of movies. That's that's one we'll add. So okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you mine. I actually had a different one. Okay, in mind, but but I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna um, change it up a little bit. So I'm gonna go with Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader. <laughs>
1: Ooh! Right I think now, the, Queen, the Queen Amidala thing threw you off. That's what. Didn't that's it? what or made me. <laughs>
0: that's what made me think. So here's my take, and and I think this is a big generational thing, right? Because our okay. generation grew up with him only as the evil. Oh, horrible yes. person, right? Yep. But the yep. newer generation, like our kids, I mean, my kids, your kids are a little younger than mine, but my kids grew up seeing Anakin as this kind of awkward kid. Now, setting aside the first movie, which doesn't exist, but <laughs> at, at the end, right? <sighs> Luke is able to get his father to, to kind of push aside the, the dark side. And while certainly you can't forgive all the evil that, that Darth Vader and, and Anakin did, but at the end, he helps conquer the Emperor and he essentially saves the, the universe. So really, really quick turn, really quick flip. But I I, I just think um it's the storyline is so different from what we saw in the in the first three and then and then the other ones. So. Yeah. I think that's a good uh,
1: point though because uh, yeah, as you and me when we were when we were younger, right? Darth Vader was pretty again, you know, eight <coughs> we went back to what I said in the 80s, right? Even though it was like 70s 80s, but it's fairly cut and dry with uh, you know, the the heroes and then the villains and it was there was really no mixing of the two. There were some here and there, like I think sometimes people will say Scarface is kind of an anti-hero movie, that kind of stuff, but I say yes and no. It's not as much as as, as say, like say hello to my
0: say hello to my little friend. Mm. Yeah, right. I mean, uh, not really. Whereas
1: you're right with Darth Vader. He 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 made that heroic act at the end after doing all these terrible things, including killing those young padawans. Yeah. But um, I think but if you ever get Scar- a chance, watch Star Wars Robot Chicken. Um, it's hilarious. I,
0: I, I've seen one of the skits where where the Emperor and Darth Vader are fighting over the the. Uh, explosion of the, uh, the death star. Yeah. It's very, great. very it's clever show. So if you, if you're young, don't watch it. It's a little offensive. It's, it's not your traditional good point. cartoon show.
1: Good point. <laughs> so good point. Um, good
0: point. Yeah. I think, you know, I think it's always interesting. Some other ones that, that I thought about were, was, um, the character from, uh, the last of us, not a movie, but TV show, yep. you know, he's certainly not a good guy, but he turns out to be quite Heroic uh, at the end. Of course, he throws away the future of humanity, but that's a different story altogether. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we just finished watching Ted Lasso and um, Nate. I love that show. Uh, and Nate also, right? He starts out as a good guy, yes. turns out to be a jerk, and then he actually finishes nice. So, all right. Yes. So, now let's talk about the real reason people show up to listen. Hopefully, is is let's talk a little bit about um, a little bit about cybersecurity, and 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 we'll weave some stuff in. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take you back a little bit. If you remember when we were at RSA last year, mm-hmm. you got up on stage and talked about standards, and I was sitting in the front row, and it, it really kind of sparked a really good thought. And and you know, we at Black Kite are very much about standards. Our whole platform is built on open standards and we're very yep. open to Raincoat kind of thing. And you and I talked a lot about the need for standards and and the fact that the lack of standards makes it so much harder for CISOs. There's been a lot of LinkedIn posts over the last couple of weeks, really about CISO burnout and mm-hmm. whether CISOs are in the right place, where they have the right power. And we can certainly have that conversation, but let's let's talk a little bit about why standards are such an important sort of they're, they're a dependency for us to be successful running programs, being more secure, being more, more risk resilient. So yeah, Let's talk a little bit about that. What are your kind of wax poetic for for a couple of minutes and and we'll build on that.
1: Yeah, I love that. Love that. No, yeah, Jeff as you know, it's an area that I'm very passionate about and and you know, you and you know, for the audience who don't know us, we we spent some time together at at Gartner. I was there almost seven years, and I think you were there definitely over over 10, right? F- f- 15. Yeah. 15. 15. Yeah. Um, but one of the last kind of research areas I worked on was, uh, started with the convergence of identity and data security. Um, and, and and we're seeing that now with more and more attacks using identity as the as the attack surface to get in to get to your data, right? Like ransomware is a great example um and that was the precursor to uh i, I worked on this with uh, patrick haveshi and this was the cyber security mesh architecture the precursor for that and that works you, you know it really the basis for all that is uh standards openness and interoperability and we'll we'll get to that in a moment but you know first i'll just start with this it's like imagine you you get in your car and let's just say you live somewhere in the us and you drive from one state to another and traffic lights are different colors stop is blue and you know uh, uh prepare to stop is uh green and go is red well you know that would confuse most people in the world we've we've come to the conclusion that keeping that red yellow uh green works fairly well and you don't have to learn how to speak a new language you can you can do that now if you you right but
0: clearly you have not driven in florida because in florida the colors and the lights don't really seem to matter to most of the drivers yeah
1: yeah that's that's a good point that's a good and i should say i i i currently live in ottawa canada so canada's capital and i spent uh part of the weekend in montreal and in montreal they had like and this is what got me thinking about it because uh I knew we, you and I were going to talk about openness and interoperability. And this is where the example came because they have different rules there. You can't go right on red. They had like they had this white flashing light. And my wife uh, grew up there. And I was like, what, what is that? And she's like, I don't even know what that is. I'm like, why can't people stick to standards? So that brings me back to where we are now with technology and why people are here. Um, we have to move that way. Because when you think number one, the the mass adoption of uh, multi-cloud, uh, SaaS, IS, and PaaS, uh, all of those providers, when they first came to market, they recognized that in order to help their adoption, they needed to use open standards to make it easier for uh, you know on-prem applications and services to plug in into that. Or if there's orchestration platforms like cloud access security brokers. They have to be able to communicate with all the different uh, SaaS providers. You can't do that if everyone's sitting there having to learn your proprietary language. And if you make an update to your uh, system as say a SaaS provider or a cloud provider, it then means that you can break all these downstream applications and other integrations. That's very problematic. So today, you know CISOs, they obviously uh, struggle with lots of different things on their plate. This one definitely can impact uh, obviously the technology stack, but it can absolutely impact your process and even people, right? So for example, if you have a lot of proprietary tech and some of you are recognized, especially if you're in government, you might be sitting on technology that you just can't move over and you have to stick with it for a while.
0: Right. Because it's old and super expensive to replace. Yeah. You, can't, you can't, I always tell people, like, I can't in good conscience go and tell you, you got to rip this thing out because... I don't think you can secure it when it's yep. going to cost you 50, hundred, $200 million or more to do that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Right. So imagine you, you've, you've hired people just to manage that because it can't work with anything else. Right. So you're not getting the advantages of like the uh, digital optimization and orchestration. Um, but of course the technology stack and so on and so forth. So you know the pitch that i talked about last year at RSA and i did it a number of times at other venues it, the whole notion was about openness and interoperability and saying that in order for and i think i started the presentation off and i showed you know a guy wearing a vr helmet and saying you know showing a connected electric car self-driving cars all these cool things how are we going to recognize and 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 benefit from all this stuff if Things can't even talk to each other. And the other example I gave Jeff was, so I gave the traffic lights, but there's also Bluetooth. I mean, you're wearing an AirPod right now, and you know I'm using a bunch of Bluetooth devices, and if we didn't have Bluetooth, we'd be bathing in drivers, and updating drivers all the time. And it was also why things like you finger- You just gave me heart
0: are. palpitations thinking about drivers loading a new piece of hardware, and you could take right? four hours before you could get it to work. Right
1: right and and, as a Gartner analyst, i one of the areas I covered was authentication. Here's a great example for the longest time, we had laptops with fingerprint readers. Well, why didn't those biometrics take off? They didn't take off because, you know, say uh Dell would make a laptop. Here's a fingerprint reader. It might work for a couple of years, and then they kind of stopped managing those drivers, right. And you need to go down to the assembly uh, assembly language level to talk to the hardware and all that. So there was a lack of standards here, and so now we're entering a world where that is my baseline recommendation. No matter what facet of even even outside of cybersecurity, Jeff, but just IT in general, you should be defaulting to uh, open standards, ones that you know, because vendors get acquired. You know that happens, right? uh vendors might fizzle away or they might sell off chunks of their technology stack to others if they say want to divest or they don't want to focus on a particular area but if they're using things like say in the identity world OpenID connect saml fido then you know that that these things can can be leveraged uh i'll just say one quick thing and i'll 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 stop my rant here but in the realm because i cover identity um in the realm of identity and access management everyone's very excited about the notion of pass keys Passwordless authentication—all of this wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for FIDO, Fast Identity Online, or FIDO, because that gives effectively like the Bluetooth for authentication. And that's why in the past those laptops that had fingerprint readers—they just they just sat there, and that hardware sat there. So, so that's just one small example. But even Jeff, as we go into that Gartner cybersecurity mesh architecture, that's this architecture of saying if it's web application firewalls, if it's email security other network security, identity and access management, all of these things should work as a mesh, and they should be able to talk to each other via open standards so that you can bring in any product and and, and service and, and kind of go from there. So
0: so let me so let me yeah. ask you a question then. So so this this is not a new concept, right? Standards and interoperability, but yep. we've been hearing about it for so long, right? There were there were all these network security stacks that were supposed to be interoperable. And when our mutual friend and I, Eric Willette, we used to cover encryption together at Gartner. Yep. Yep. And at the time, uh, IEEE 1619 came out, right, which was a key management standard. I forget which, what the tag was. I think it might have been three. But what we found was all the vendors said, oh, we'll be happy to manage your stuff. Oh, wait, you want to manage our stuff? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. What's different now? What's different today?
1: That's an excellent point. I think, look, there's still some of that competitive angst, right? But again, if you are – so let me, let me start with this, right? Um you can look at Gartner data, Forrester data, anyone's data and you and 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 the jury's already out that CISOs are dealing with too much technology, right? I think one you know, you could you could hear stats i would say the average CISO's dealing with and their team uh, between 50 and 80 cybersecurity products and that list keeps on growing because they're like, "Oh, what's we have some new threat that's come in ITDR we don't have an ITDR solution let's buy one of those let's buy this let's buy that let's buy this and then you're left with this huge stack that you're dealing with now if even a handful of those jeff are using proprietary tech again you have the nightmare of maintaining managing and you know something gets updated it breaks some application in your your full stack, and then you get some business unit leader that's arguing with you as the CISO that this broke. And you're like, well, yeah, I'm trying to keep it patched, right? And so without the the uh, without using uh, all of this stuff now today, it makes it hard. So I guess what I should say here is that we actually have the data to back it up now. We have the data to back up the argument to say, if you aren't using open standards and interoperability, you're just kind of a bozo, because you're just going to make your life hard it's going to cost you a lot more in the long run, and it's going to drive your employees crazy. And it will impact retention of your cybersecurity professionals, because they're going to say, this stack is a mess. I can go work for this other company, get paid the same, if not more, and my life will be a lot easier. So I think the culprit here now today that's fueling it is, of course, digital transformation, lots of money in digital business. But Jeff, I think the the angle really is that there's too much technology. And so by having things come together, it opens up the opportunity for, I'll say, I'll say two things, and I want to hear your thoughts on this too. One, the ability to consolidate that stack, okay? Because, come on, no one wants to have 80-plus security products running all the time.
0: That's just guaranteed. Well, the, v- the vendors want you to have 80-plus security <laughs> products.
1: They absolutely do, right? But the vendors, going back to your point, have to understand that they need to coexist with some of their other competitors And they might, might even need to integrate into other competitors. Cause again, the competitive landscape's also such that everyone's bumping into each other. So that's one. Um, So it gives them the ability to consolidate because that's what customers want and vendors should be delivering on customers' expectations. Two, orchestration. And that helps with overall day-to-day management. And I think in that presentation, I also talked about uh, stats on like response times. Right. You'll you'll lower response times if your products can talk to each other, because right. now you can see an indicator of compromise over here and you can deal with it in a multitude of ways. And anyway, I'll shut up right. there, but that's,
0: yeah, no, and, and, I, and I think that's a great transition because so as you remember, the last big project you and I worked on together before you left and COVID and all that stuff was you and I did the keynote at Gartner's Identity and Access Management Summit in in uh sunny and hot las vegas although if it was in december it wasn't that it was in december right and and a big chunk of that right was about how can we do a better job communicating technology and technology risk to business vendors uh, to business audiences and i think that standard thing really ties into that because The last thing a CISO or any security practitioner wants to do is go in front of the board of the C-levels and they say, why do you need to do this? And go, go, because I got two thumbs and I say so. (laughs) Nobody's interested in that, right? And that I think – and I think that some guidance maybe for the CISOs and and other leaders out there is – push your vendors if you're not standards yes. if, if you're not working with standards and you're not connecting and you're not playing nice with others we're not going to buy product from you. Yes, exactly. I think that's a really, really important, important thing. And I think it comes back to something that you and I have talked about a whole bunch of times, which is the concept of, of storytelling, right? Which is how do we embed this whole sort of concept around that? And I think you did a great job with the, the traffic light story, right? And, um, I think it's a super, super important concept and we need to be able to take that and, build like simple narratives to be able to go to management and say, look, we know you play golf with the person that runs this company, but they don't have a standards based tool. Yep. Yes. It'll make them happy, but it will not be good for us. It won't be good for us. Managing a program it won't be good for us managing risk. And I think that stuff's really, really important. And, um, you know, it, it, hopefully it'll help with CISO burnout, it'll help with exposure. You yeah. know, we're seeing a lot of new regulations. Um, unfortunately, the in the US, the, uh, the SEC cyber guidance just got pushed back uh, to the end of the year, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. is a bit of a disappointment, but we're, we're seeing a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, across the world now, and it makes it impossible to answer a simple question, right? What are you guys doing for security if you don't have that that sort of standardized approach and I think that's really really important.
1: Yeah, and I think I think just the 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 foundational piece of the storytelling I think is a very and and Jeff you've done an excellent job in your research at Gartner, your presentations you. and then what you continue to do so and I've learned a lot from you as in terms of storytelling and even you know even even the the example you gave with donating money to you know a, a child in another country that doesn't have any money when when you give people more of an emotional connection like you show a picture you tell a bit of a a, a bit about their background people are more compelled to donate more whereas if it's just a data point we don't have an emotional connection to it right. and and i think for our audience and for ciso's just in general um you know, hooking the notion of openness and interoperability and trying to make, you know, make your lives easier, you know, you could be selfish, but also in your job and protecting the organization. Um, In the long run, this is the better way to go. And, you know, thinking about how you tell those stories and, and connect the dots. So, you know, the traffic lights is one, but but even telling stories about how—I um, mean, if you really want to get specific, would be like incident response times, right? You could you could double your response rate if you're using open standards, and they're they're hooked into these kind of like Gartner cybersecurity mesh-like architectures, um, because if you're having to log into six different consoles to to find a nugget of an indicator of compromise, the attackers already are way more efficient than you, so you you can't have those barriers. So so. Being able to tell those stories, um, you know, I think helps. And then when you brought up the SEC stuff, and even just when I think about regulatory compliance, I mean, that is a whole confusing area. That with dates that are moving, uh, guidelines, guidance, and everything, it's very difficult already today uh, to do that. And that's why, you know, one of the things I do want to cover with you as well is the notion of this chief identity officer as well, which I want to get to because. I think the CISO's job now is is there's too much on their plate. And we've known this for some time, but I think we're at the point now where where those those barriers are bursting and and that's why I think they're 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 burning out. Something needs to change and there's only so much that CISOs can do. But I think they're at the point of diminishing returns if they listen to all the advice coming from you. Uh, but, but you know, coming from the industry, there's only so much they can right. do. They're taking their vitamins, they're exercising, they're doing everything they need to do. At some point, the landscape needs to change.
0: I agree, 100, and and I definitely want to hear about, about your your chief identity officer. But I, you know, I always tell people, look, I've been in security for 30 years. When I started, you could know everything right? Yes. Now, yes. there's just no, yeah. there's no yep. way. Um, I actually, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a group called Cyversity, uh, run by our friend, uh, Larry Whiteside. Okay. So yeah. I actually signed up. They have a new, they have a mentorship program. So they start a new cohort. So I signed up yesterday. And what's interesting is they ask you, what's your field of expertise? There were like 20 things. Yeah. And what's funny yeah. is I don't fit in any of those buckets. I was in other. And I said, communication, storytelling. Building metrics, right? Business engagement. And to me, yep. I think that's super, super important. So so let's let's talk a little bit about your 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 CIO role. I, you know, we're out of three letter acronyms, I think. So <laughs> yeah. uh, when you when I asked you what your title was and you gave me that, so tell me a little bit about what do you what do you do as as chief identity officer at, at Transmit?
1: Yeah, so 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 first I'll just talk about the the role <clears throat> generally. Uh I mean so so going off of the notion that that look the CISO roles didn't really even exist twenty years ago, right? They they may have been they would go under maybe the, the CIO and maybe they still are depending on the organization, but it could be like a, a VP of information technology or uh you know uh, uh information protection or network security was the common one when i got into this about 20 years ago network security network security network security right um and uh, you know at that time we had some people maybe they were in hr maybe they were also in it or hybrid and they were doing kind of identity and access management again the titles may have been quite fluid uh, but then we saw the birth of iam and kind of iam professionals and People now who are dealing with the rights and entitlements of users, how users are onboarded, and all of that. And, you know, if we go back, yeah, 20, 30 years in identity and access management, there wasn't really a notion of security for the most part. I mean, it was
0: just like right, okay, it was getting people to be able to do their job, right? Here, give them access e- to this stuff. Exactly.
1: Exactly, Jeff. It was, it was primarily focused on enablement and productivity, not security. Mm-hmm. And so I always say, you know, my my quick way of saying that. Uh, is just joiner, mover, lever, right? You're dealing with people joining the organization, moving around the organization. You know, David moves from being an analyst to going into finance or whatever it might be. And then lever, I decide to leave the organization and you want to delete my account so that there's no orphaned account and there's no exposure and all that kind of stuff. Great. That's what, what it was focused on before. And then we saw these titles kind of change and we have director of IAM and now even VP of IAM. But in the last, I would say, especially the last five years, more of this has come into cybersecurity. And the CISO, they are looking at, at, at identity and access management much more than they, they used to. Now, primarily when COVID happened, I, you and I were both at Gartner. My demand went up because everybody was focused on secure access. Like, hey, everyone's right. remote now. What do we need to do? And it was like, first, get the network, the VPNs, get all that stuff ramped up. And then the immediate second thing was MFA, right? And this is where you had identity people and cybersecurity people. So just, people just
0: in case folks out there don't know, MFA is multi-factor oh, authentication, yeah. which yeah. is a, a token or a biometric. So... Sorry, exactly. I didn't mean to cut you off. But no, 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 that's perfect. We, and, we have we have a tendency sometimes to throw acronyms in and assume everybody knows what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, see, this is the problem, right? This is the problem with with the curse of knowledge here. But but no, that that's so true, right? So it's it's uh so they started focusing on that, and that really started changing how many CISOs, And again, it depends on the organization how they started to think of of. Uh, identity, because identity includes things like fraud, whether someone's trying to steal your account or take your information and open a new account, uh, or they they get in and they're using your rights and entitlements to access stuff. And by the way, that's how ransomware works. It gets on your machine, uses your rights and entitlements to encrypt stuff that you have access to, and it could worm through the network and spread to other people. Um, So anyway, long story short, we've got now... Enough justification to say, I think now identity is 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 such an important thing in organizations, both for if the organization has a consumer identity view, like a bank or or a retailer or a mobile network operator, they've got consumers they have to deal with. Um, and by the way, you can't, it's it's not effective to take workforce technology that you would use for employees and just throw it at your consumers. There's common tech that can work, but Consumers need something very different. You wouldn't, you wouldn't take a. Ferrari. Well, there's a there's
0: a usability thing. Exactly. There there's an e like I I always say and and exactly. um you know I I love my parents dearly, they're not the most technical people and I always say you you want to build a technology put it out to the masses. My mom needs to be able to use it. My exactly. dad's a lost cause altogether. But my mom needs to be a. My dad can't even use his flip phone. Love you, dad, but. Oh, it's so true yeah. though,
1: but it's, yeah. it's, it's true. You need to make it, you know, you've got some, some banks out there that are 200 million users and there's going to be some that are going to be, you know, hardcore. And like you said, in that, in that checking off the cybersecurity, uh, expertise list, they might check everything off. Right. Cause right. maybe they're an expert in everything Whereas there's others, like there's your, your parents and, and my mom, same thing, right? Like barely even use something like an iPad, but they're being pushed to do more digital online banking. For example. So anyway, long story short, I just want to make sure I get the, the point out is that there's enough justification now to say, uh we we already have VP of, of identity at some organizations. And actually Identiverse, one of our old colleagues, Ian Glazer, gave a talk about the CIO role and how that's rising to prominence. So so what I'm seeing in transmit security, I think, was ahead of the curve here in many ways, and saying, look, you know, we see the need for a chief identity officer because there's the people side of everything, like managing their skill sets, there's the process. How do you deal with joiner, remover, reliever Plus all the the cybersecurity elements of identity, now um, privacy elements of, of it, consumer elements, partner elements, employee elements. Oh, and by the way, machine identities, because that one's a big a big area too.
0: Well, apparently, um, machine is the new perimeter. I don't know if you heard that anywhere.
1: Yeah, well, I I was a part of the problem, at least, in helping define that with Eric Wallstrom at Gartner, Machine Identity Management, and uh, I I don't want to get us down a rat hole, but the point is, (laughs) is that if you could list off and justify now uh, the CIO role at any of these major organizations, and I always say to some CISOs when I talk to them about it, they they all agree that their role is too bloated, Uh, and I say, well, do you have a, a CPO? And they're like, CPO, Chief Privacy Officer, and they're like, yeah, we do maybe it's not that title but if you justified having a focus on privacy why wouldn't you justify having a focus on identity so there is kind of like at least the background to to my current role and and part of it yes i'm 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 an evangelist a big part of my job is to kind of go out and 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 do similar things that that you're doing and just evangelize evangelize all these good things and help some organizations further accelerate their identity programs and all of this Uh, but part of it's also doing that internally as well, the organization, because Transmit Security, we are a cybersecurity and identity security company and we take this stuff seriously. And in fact, some of the products and services that we were we've we've built, like our machine identity management, was there to help kind of protect our identity infrastructure in and itself, which we know, you know, I'm not gonna get my competitive juices going, but we know that like there are some of our competitors that have had breaches because they don't understand that. They're not doing that um, because they were born out of joiner, of reliever. They weren't born out of this adversarial view of like everyone's going to hurt me and I need to protect everything. Um, so anyway, that's that's kind of my, my role. So I get to kind of continue just evangelizing all these things around identity and uh, security. But the last thing I'll say there, Jeff, is really what I'm very much interested in is the intersection of cybersecurity and identity, because these two worlds need to come together. And one thing I said at a recent conference I went to, I'm like, who here in the room is an identity professional? And I was at an identity conference. Everyone put up their hand. I'm like, who's cybersecurity? You know, and maybe like uh, 20%. And I'm like, you know what? Attackers do not care. They will come in any way they want, and they don't care if you're a network security expert, a cybersecurity expert, or an identity expert. They'll find a vulnerability and they will use it against you.
0: Right. So. Anyway. And and I think, you know, one of the things that when you and I prep for for the conference we did together a number of years ago, one of the things you pointed out was interesting from my perspective is that conference more than any other had more business people in it, right? There were HR yes. people in there, there yes. were application people in there. And I think that's the other piece, right, is this is a set of business problems that we need to solve. Yep. And I – I find it very, very frustrating when we talk to security people and they don't think about the business part. Well, what's your business trying to do? What, what are your business goals? What yes. are they trying to accomplish? Yep. You, your, your job as a security person is not to save the business from itself. Your job is to help them do what they need to do without undue exposure. And To your point, the bad guys, they don't care. They no, will they go in any window, any door, any yep. tunnel, yep. however. And they're just not interested in hearing, well, that's not my job.
1: Well, exactly. And and I think I so I I'm glad that you brought that up about just the demographics of those identity conferences. So so in our our final years at, at Gartner Jeff was the chair of the security and risk management summit so I think now Gartner's largest summit generally but it's a very large uh, security uh it goes it,
0: go, it, it goes back and forth with uh, IOCS I think.
1: Oh okay. Okay. Yeah. And then I was the chair for uh, Gartner I M. Um so what that meant <laughs> was, you know, uh we had similar roles, we got to kind of pick the content and 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 all that all this stuff. We didn't get to pick the venue, but we got to pick the content. Um, but that being said, I think uh, when Jeff and I were planning and we looked over, you know, the, the demographics of the people who attended, and that was always one thing because I started my career in cybersecurity, um, and then I transitioned into identity. And you know, for me, it's not like I didn't plan this, but it ended up like the market moved in this way because um, I did. I was, I was an attacker before. I did bad things before, and I. I didn't care how I
0: But you don't you don't do it. bad things anymore, right? No, not anymore. No, not okay. anymore.
1: But but you know when when I I was always of the I, I always had the mentality of I would see that big laundry list of like different aspects of cybersecurity and I wanted to check them off. I wanted to be dangerous about everything. And so my kind of interest just brought me into identity and now it's come full circle where all the cybersecurity stuff now needs to be a part of it and so What I always found interesting with identity is you're right. I found that identity people, at least when I got into that world, you know, what 15 years ago, compared to the cybersecurity folks, I thought they did a a better job at that time. Anyway, it might be different now in um, connecting to the business because it was born out of productivity. It was born out of that joiner, mover, lever, where you're like, well, we need to, we need to, you know uh uh subscribe to this service so we could do credit checks on employees that are coming in and there's a direct line to the business or banks with fraud it's like if we don't put in MFA multi-factor authentication uh we're going to get hammered with fraud and then they can they can say this is how much fraud we would get so they were able to make a uh, and,
0: and the last thing the last thing you yeah. want to hear from your CFO is we can't do quarterly close because Bob or Mary doesn't have access exactly exactly right? that's a phone right? call you do not want to get
1: and and it's in your face with identity right because you, you we see it we see it every day when we go to log in when you're touching your your finger on your phone or you're you're doing a face id and if anything gets in that way in your way or, or you know we all love passwords right password resets like that's where identity comes in but of course there's the security element to it but we all know that a lot of cyber secu- really good cybersecurity tools and functions are just behind the scenes and you never see them, right? Like IPS As it and should IDS. be,
0: right? They should be seamless.
1: Exactly, they should be seamless. But identity is a little bit more in your face because right. typically you are <laughs> consenting to log in, right? So th- there will always be some kind of process where you are saying, I am logging in. I don't think we're gonna eliminate that because we do need to have that event where you're saying, I'm choosing to log in. Right. Um, but to make yeah. it much easier, that's going to be the goal. So, um, so anyway, long story short, I think uh, I, I'm glad that you brought up the the conference because I think that's what really interested me with the uh, a lot of the folks in identity was the focus on the business. But there's HR. There's like marketing because it's like, hey, right. we have a mobile app and we're trying to get people to use our stuff. There's, you know, and if 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 you don't do it properly, people do what's called cart abandonments. You're like, oh, this sucks. I gotta log in and do this and do no. Abandon yep. my cart and go to another retailer, you know? So it's it's huge. It's huge. And it's only gonna get bigger from here.
0: Yeah. Nope. I agree. So all right, as you said earlier, Dave, we could literally talk forever, yep. but I'm sure you have a job and I gotta get back to. To my job. So let me let me just kind of do a little bit of a recap. So um Dave's anti-hero to hero transition, Lee on the professional. Uh I don't think Darth Vader was that bad a guy, or is that maybe not what I want to say? I don't know. <laughs> um, standards are really, really important both from a technical perspective, from the perspective of being able to lead and manage a function, and from the the business aspect and identity and access management is is super super important and super super complicated if you remember aunt allen's old um, jellyfish diagram yes. i used to love oh, that yes. thing i yep. didn't understand it but i used to show it to people and go look you say you want to do iam what does that mean there's 75 things in here <laughs> yeah. so um so with that uh any final thoughts dave from you
1: uh, I would just say uh, again on openness and operability, uh, stick to that. Get it in your RFPs. Pressure your vendors. If one vendor doesn't want to, and they, you know, it's then you should mark them as potentially someone that you don't want to partner with in, in the future, especially if they can be replaced. Um, and then lastly, if your organization takes identity seriously, uh, might be time for you to start to consider roles of uh, the CIO, Chief Identity Officer, in the near future. And I'm always Open to talk about that. I'm talking to a number of fairly large organizations where they just want to talk about the justification of those roles. So happy to uh, to do that.
0: I I tell people all the time, connect to Dave on on LinkedIn. Hit him up. He's got a lot of, a lot of wisdom, way more than we had time to to get to. So Dave, love you, brother. More more than I can put in words. I'm so happy that we got to do this. I know it's taken a little while to get this up. So with that, I want to thank everyone for joining. Uh, stay safe. Stay healthy, stay secure. This has been another episode of Risk & Reels. Weetman out. Thank you for listening to Risk & Reels, a cybersecurity podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to riveting 30-minute conversation about movies and cybersecurity. Jeffrey will be on the road this year at some of the industry's biggest events, but you can always find him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Jeffrey Wheatman. This podcast is powered by Blackhide, the only security rating service to deliver the highest quality intelligence to help organizations make better risk decisions.